Alright, uh, good news. Uh, for we read just now, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Uh, it's good to be here with everyone this morning. Uh, usually I'm not at the 9am service because uh, I'm doing youth ministry. Uh, so allow me to introduce myself. My name is Daniel, and I have the privilege to serve as the youth pastor here at St. Mary's, as well as the humble privilege to preach God's Word to all of us here this morning. So I encourage you, as we look at 2 Samuel 12, be keeping your Bibles open, or you can follow along in your service order. Allow me to pray as we prepare our hearts to receive God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is given to us in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 12. And Lord, help us to see rightly from the person of King David and help us to see uh, in his story uh, what he has done and how he has turned away from his sin and turned to you. So help us to be thinking rightly about this passage and to be thinking rightly about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Allow me to begin uh, this morning with a question to everyone, which is this. Um, have you been caught red-handed doing something that you know you should not have been doing or that you did something wrong? I'm sure many of us can relate to this. For example, when you drive on the highway of Malaysia, from my memory, especially on the way to Ipoh, you drive on the way to Ipoh, you are above 110 and suddenly, psh, or psh, either way lah that the camera or the speed traffic caught you and then you know in the moment, I, uh, I have to pay this someone a couple of weeks later, a couple of months down the road. Or maybe when you, when you are young, when you haven't done your homework and you copy your friend's homework, sure some of you have done that by now, and then your teacher at the start of class in a very general way would say, uh, thank you for submitting your homework, but there are a couple of your homeworks that sound awfully similar to one another. And then in your seat, you go there, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, that's me. Um, what do you feel in that moment when you are being confronted with something that you did wrong? Uh, do you feel guilty? Do you feel sorry? Uh, do you feel shame in that moment? Well, friends, let me firstly just start off by saying that that guilt or that sorry or that grief is not a bad thing. Right? God's kindness uses those means for us to recognize our wrong so that we may turn to Him. So, okay, now let's say you feel the sorry and now, you know, what's next, right? Did you repeat the same mistakes that you did or did you like turn away and you just go to God or do you repeat the same mistakes, right? For example, parents here, if you told your children, Boy, please don't do this. Don't do this ever again. And then your kid, maybe you scolded your kid and then your kid is crying there, putting on a sad face. Okay, mommy, I won't. Okay, daddy, I won't do this anymore. And then 10 minutes later, one hour later, a week later, your little kid repeats the same mistake again. Now, if that person was an adult, you might be wondering if this person's sorry or this person's feeling of guilt was actually genuine in the first place or not, Right? So in some sense, you and I would agree that saying sorry or feeling guilty in the moment is not, not good, but it might be insufficient. What perhaps is more important is a turning away or after saying sorry that you display changes in your life, that you're moving towards the right direction. So that is our main point for today's passage, which is this. The Bible calls this main point repentance. 
repentance. Allow me to define repentance for you on the screen. It says repentance is simply turning away from our sin and turning towards God. Let me say that again. Repentance is turning away from our sin and turning towards God. And we're going to look at repentance from today's passage in the story of King David. Right? If you were here last week, we've seen how David started with small compromises, not going to war. And then he started feeling tired or started feeling excited. He went and got someone's wife. And we see just this spiraling and spiraling of consequence and sin and consequence and sin. And ultimately, he committed adultery. He killed that woman's husband and so much more evil things that happened. And we know very clearly towards the end of last week's chapter, we know how God views or how God thinks about David's sin. And God says in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, 27, it says that the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So our question we have to ask is, how did David respond? How would the story unfold? King David, you know, how would he respond? Did David repent? And if so, if David did repent, how did his repentance look like? So let look with me to the text in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The story continues, right? David, after everything he has done, he's pretty comfortable, he's living his high life as a king. He thought he could already cover up all his mistakes and he's just continuing with his daily life. But we see how gracious our God is in that he does not leave King David there. He sends the prophet Nathan in verse 1 to go and confront David. And the prophet Nathan begins to tell a story or a parable to David, saying in verse 2, there are, or verse two and verse 3 tells us there are two characters. There is a rich man who has plenty of flock, plenty of herd, plenty of everything. And there is a poor man. And we are told that the poor man, unlike the rich man, had to buy his lamb. And in verse 4, just describe describes the preciousness of this lamb uh, towards this poor man. The lamb has ate with him, has drank with him, has lied in his arms, and it grew up with him, essentially. So now the story takes a turn. There is a traveller that came to the rich man seeking for hospitality, and you would normally serve food to your traveller or to a guest, right? So the rich man, you would think that, wow, i got so many flocks, so many herd. I'm going to take one, slaughter it, and serve it uh, to my guests. But guess what? The parable tells us that actually, instead of doing that, the rich man ran over to the poor, poor man's, probably when the poor man is asleep, took his precious and one and only lamb, killed it, slaughtered it, and served it to the, the guests or served it to the traveller. Now, that's the end of the parable. How would David respond after hearing this? Well, surely David would be angry. Why? Because first and foremost, David was a king. David's role, as mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15, is to administer justice and equity to all his people. Of course, he's angry when he sees injustice happen. Also remember, David was a shepherd's boy. He knew the preciousness of the lamb. And of course, he would be angry. How could you take away this poor man's lamb? Of course, David was angry. And David knows that this man, this rich man, deserves to die for the things that he has done. 
right? David also knew like the punishment, the exact punishment that this rich man should have given, which is fourfold of what, as we read in our New Testament reading. David knew the law. David knew justice. David knew what is right and wrong. But we can see where the prophet Nathan is going with this parable, that this parable is a rebuke on David to reveal to David saying, hey, David, you are actually the rich man in this story. The same person that you judge, the same person that you condemn, well, that person is actually you. So pay attention, church, to what God says through the prophet Nathan in verse 7. It says, thus says the Lord of God and Israel. And verse 8, it continues by God saying to David, these are all the things I have done for you and how I, God, have been faithful to you. That David, like the rich man, had everything at his disposal. But verse 9, God tells David, and lays down the rebuke. Why, despite everything I've given you, despite how faithful I've been to you, why do you still do evil? You took a man's wife. You took the life of a man. Why do you do evil? So Nathan lays down the rebuke. And now comes the consequences. Because friends, our sins here on earth more often than not have an earthly consequence. Verse 10 tells us one of these first consequences. It says that the sword will never depart from your house. And this sword simply means violence. And we'll see the violence in David's household continuing to unfold in the second half of 2 Samuel, especially chapter 15. So stay tuned for that. Come back that week to listen to that sermon or read it in your Bible. Verse 11 tells us another consequences that David's wives will be taken to be slept with in public. And you might think, wow, that's a very gory... But it actually happened. Right? 2 Samuel 16 tells us exactly the same thing actually happened. The consequence wasn't just for fun, wasn't just to tell it for fun, but it actually happened. So again, stay tuned for that as we see in 2 Samuel 16. Of course, fast forward to this chapter, 2 Samuel 12, 14, the final consequence, one of the final consequences, it says that the son that is born to David must die. Just horrible, horrible, horrible consequences that actually happen to the life of David. God never lies. He brings about his word, not only good stuff, but also judgment and consequences. Now, what we saw in the first part of this text is what I would call the call to repentance, where Nathan implores David by saying, hey, David, repent. And he does so by telling David the things that he has done wrong. Friends, as you tell your unbelieving friends, or if you are an unbeliever here today, we don't just walk around to tell people, hey, Jesus loves you and forgives you without first or in that process telling them you are a sinner, these are the things you have done wrong. Now, we probably won't be like the prophet Nathan telling parables or we know exactly the sins of our friends. But part of calling people to repentance is telling them that they are wrong. Now, if you are a Christian sitting here, you know this first-hand experience that God in His kindness has sent 
Nathan's to your life to reveal your sinfulness before you. It could be a Bible reading where the words of Scripture by His Spirit suddenly convict your heart of your sinfulness. It could be a friend. It could be a pastor. It could be a sermon. It could be your family members. Whatever it is that God has used this means to reveal your sinfulness for you. Even your earthly consequences, the things that you face in this life, perhaps are a reminder also of the sins or yet you have done. So friends, when God has called you to repentance, and if you listen to the story of David, and you are convicted of your own sinfulness, thanks be to God. For His grace and His mercy is reaching out and extending His forgiveness of His Son to you. Right? So don't ignore the Nathan, so to speak, of your lives. Don't ignore my words. Don't ignore the scriptures. Don't ignore your friends, your pastors, your family members who tell you that you are wrong. Turn away from them. Take your sin seriously and turn to God. So that's the first point. Well, the call to repentance, how Nathan called David to repentance. Now, how did King David respond? Well, verse 13 tells us that he'll answer. And this simple sentence, but such a profound sentence, summarizes the heart of what it means to repent to God. So David, in verse 13, says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, friends, sin is not simply doing something wrong on the outside. It's not just, I, oops, I did that. But sin, friends, is rebellion against God. Sin is lawlessness and disobedience against God's command. So, if sin is not just doing bad things, but sin is against God, what is the implication of that? Right? So, for David's case, his sin did, of course, was against Uriah, was against Bathsheba. But David knew ultimately that his sin was against ultimately to the Lord. So let me illustrate. For example, if you are a non-Christian here sitting here, welcome to church. But for a non-Christian or an unbeliever, we, you have the ability or your non-Christian friends have the ability to have a guilty conscience, to know right and wrong, to feel bad about the things that they have done wrong. Right? They are made in the image of God. They have one creator. Of course, they are able to feel a sense of guilt, a sense of conscience telling them that they are wrong, albeit it's fallen. But these unbelievers will never come to a place where they realize that their sin is against God himself. And that is a massive difference, Right? Because repentance is not just feeling guilty and feeling sorry about what you have done. But repentance is acknowledging that your sins are against a holy God. You see, David's predecessor, King Saul, he felt sorry, he felt guilty, but for the wrong reasons, he wanted to appease the prophet Samuel and not necessarily God. In the New Testament, Judas Right? When he betrayed Jesus, at the end, he actually did feel guilty. He did feel sorry, but it wasn't towards God. 
You see, friends, our sin is ultimately accountable against the one true and good and holy God. And part of our repentance is not just wallowing in our sorrows, but running towards Him for His mercy and His goodness. And we can see that turning and that running towards mercy in Psalm 51, our psalm reading today, that David penned this beautiful, sorrowful, just full of pain in his words when he pens down this in Psalm 51, his sorrowful heart towards his sin. It's, well, it's not a hard psalm to understand, friends. So allow me to read it to you and just fix your eyes on the words of this psalm on your service order if you want to. Allow me to read the first four verses. Psalm 51, 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. It means spit out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions are, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you, God, may be justified in your words. Notice that sentence, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Friends, if someone were to ask you, why are you a Christian? Besides telling them your story, your church, your family background, how many Bibles you have read in your life from run to back, those are good things and I want to encourage those things. But in your personal testimony, does somewhere in your story include God save a wretched person like me? The, this crying out to God, this have mercy on me, oh God, have mercy on a foolish man like me, is that part of your story? Because that's the Christian story. That's what the gospel does to our hearts. Have you seen that in your life? Have you experienced that for yourself? Because friends, if there is no repentance, if there is no faith, there is no forgiveness of sins. But we did see repentance from David. And Nathan, in his kindness, extends these words to David, extends this forgiveness of sin on behalf of God to David. And Nathan said, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. But let me, let me just ask everyone a question. How can God do that? How can God, David, the adulterer, by the Old Testament laws, has to die? How can God, being holy, just say, David, adulterer, walk away for free? It's similar to a judge. Let's say I have a family member that was murdered and the criminal was in front of the judge and the judge say, criminal, walk away for free. You're no longer punished. How would you feel as the family member? You feel angry. You feel a sense of injustice. So similarly with the God of the universe, how can he pardon David's sin and let him walk for free and still remain holy? The same question for you and I, how can God forgive our sin and still 
love us and still remain holy all at the same time. Well, friends, that is where the gospel comes in. Because God did actually deal with your sin. Someone actually took your place on that cross and his name is Jesus. When Jesus on that cross in his final breath yelled out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't that the sinner, you and I, just walked free, but that our sin was transferred or imputed to Christ. And that Christ on that cross received the punishment that was due on our behalf. And that the Father poured out His wrath and laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Church, that is the gospel. That is how deep, how wide, and how amazing the love of God is on our behalf. So 9am congregation, those who are watching online, when you come before God in repentance and confession, whether in the Holy Communion later or whenever you do it in your home or wherever you are, the same words that were said to David from the prophet Nathan are the same words that I extended to you. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die, but you may have everlasting life. So that's David's cry of repentance. So we've seen Prophet Nathan rebuke, we've seen David repent, we've seen the forgiveness extended to David. In the upcoming verses, we won't touch on every one of them, but we see David's life after the fact. We see David's life after his repentance. We saw a little bit of that in Psalm 51 that was written post this Bathsheba incident, but we'll see his life after that in the remaining of 2 Samuel 12. So in verse 15, we find out that the consequences are true, that David's son was afflicted and David's son was sick, David's response in verse 16 was in a sorrowful heart. He went on the ground. He prayed on his knees, seeking God on behalf of his child. Lord, please have mercy on my sons. Please spare his child. And we see this changing of direction. It's because in the whole of 2 Samuel 11, right, David disregarded God. David didn't even come to acknowledge God in that moment of his sin and his rebellion. But now a turning, if you will, in 2 Samuel 12, we see God, we see David rather seeking God. We see David pleading with the Lord. For seven days, he had no appetite for food. His seven days, he was on his knees, he was on his face seeking God's mercy. Now, did God spare David's son? Well, no. The child did die. God is faithful to his word. And David did actually find out about it eventually in verse 19. Yet as the passage tells us, David was actually surprisingly very quick to accept this reality. Right? He went back to eat. He went back to drink. Even before that, he refused to eat. He refused to, eat, he refused to drink. Now, after the news, he ate, he drank, he washed himself, he went to the temple and he worshipped the Lord. But if you think about it, how is that possible? How did David, you, your son just died. Shouldn't you 
be all mourning about? Shouldn't you be all just in, all, in sorrow about it? How can you be so calm? Now, David responds in verse 22 and 23. It's very revealing. You see, David has accepted God's will for his life. David accepted his will, David accepted God's will for his life and the life of his son. David knew that ultimately God's will is good. And David, as we'll see, you see in that text, David will ultimately see his son again in heaven. You see, David accepted the consequence of sin. And that is part of our life of repentance, that God uses disciplinary actions as a means to discipline his children, to love his children. Sometimes that is what is God's will for us to go through. And we see that David, because of that, he actually repented. It wasn't just, I am sorry for fun, or I'm sorry for the moment, but God, in his mercy, shown David all these things so that David will act accordingly. His life will respond accordingly to his repentance. So we can ask ourselves a very honest question. How do I know if my repentance is real? Is that you're moving towards the right direction. That you have demonstrating that your repentance is actually real. That your life right now is a life that reflects your repentance. We can see that in Acts chapter 26 verse 20. This is Paul giving his testimony to King Agrippa in the New Testament. And he describes his mission as the Apostle Paul, similar with our mission today. It says, But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. And this is Paul's message. That they should repent. We talked about that. Turn to God. We talked about that. And look at this. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Another translation is demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. You see, friends, I'll repeat this again. Repentance is not just feeling sorry or feeling sorrowful, but the change that happens after that is equally important. Now, let me clarify. This is not, I'm saved by grace, I trust in Jesus for salvation, and then I need to do good works to keep up with my good standing with God. No, it is finished. Right? So it's not that. It's certainly not a salvation by works whereby we do enough good, do enough good, collect enough points, collect enough points, and then God will be satisfied with us and then save us. No. But it's when we trust in Jesus, when our faith and repentance is placed on Christ, we turn away from our sin. And then our lives subsequently after that reflects that actually our faith and our repentance are genuine. They weren't just all talk and no show. Because our lives must demonstrate repentance, right? And we see that in David's life that his life wasn't perfect after this incident. Because we see God's blessing on him when God gave him King Solomon, right? Future King Solomon, his now son Solomon, but we still see many turmoils, many tribulations in David's family in the rest of 2 Samuel 12, right? David wasn't perfect. But we see glimpses of changes of certain things that happened to David, right? We read about the war, right? The war against Rabbah and the Ammonites. That 
This war has been happening since 2 Samuel 10. Remember David, at the start of 2 Samuel 11, he didn't go to war. But at the end of 2 Samuel 12, the author tells us that David went back to war. He went back to his duty. So we can see certain glimpses of this outward change of what is happening inside of David's heart. We see this change of direction by David. Our lives must demonstrate that we are genuine in our repentance. So let me just, before we end, define repentance one more time. Repentance is turning away from our sin and turning our life and following God in His ways. The outward change is important, that's for sure. But friends, the change starts from the inside of our hearts. That instead of loving our sin, we now hate and abhor what God hates. We hate our sinfulness. You can just imagine when David was writing down Psalm 51, in his brokenness, in his sorrow, he wrote that with so much sincerity. As John Calvin, uh, early reformer, he puts this. He says that the hatred of sin is the beginning of repentance. The hatred of sin is the beginning of repentance. It's not something outward, but it starts from our heart. Which is why, and let me say this gently, repentance is not just saying the confession prayer on Sunday. Repentance is surely not a Roman Catholic doctrine of penance where you walk up to a priest and you confess your sins with words to this priest. Now, all those things could be part of repentance. Nothing wrong with confessing your sins to someone. Nothing wrong with saying the confession prayer on Sunday. But inwardly, it starts on the inside that God has so changed your heart to see the things of God that He has so worked through His gospel, through the preaching of your word, and He gave you a new heart to recognize your sinfulness before Him. A life of repentance starts from here, starts from the inside, and then slowly but surely moves towards the right direction. So in closing, may we, like King David, hear the call of repentance. May we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus for our forgiveness. And may we, like Psalm 51.10 tells us, to ask God to create in me a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. May this be our prayer, church. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, may this not be empty words but these words may be heartfelt thanks and worship towards you and you alone. Help us, Lord, to turn away from our sin and to live for you. That, Lord, as Christians, we stumble and fall, but that is part of the journey. You have forgiven us in Christ and you have enabled us to walk in freedom, to walk with joy, albeit sometimes painful, this road as a Christian, this road towards the end. So I thank you, Father, for giving us your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.